Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. My guest today is the brilliant Kenya Hunt. She is the fashion director of Grazia UK. She has worked at some of the most influential women's titles on both sides of the Atlantic, from being an assistant editor at the iconic Jane magazine to her years as deputy editor of L UK. Today we are discussing her new book called Girl, Essays on Black Womanhood, which I absolutely loved. It has been described as provocative, heartbreaking and frequently hilarious collection of original essays on what it means to be black, a woman, a mother and a global citizen in today's ever-changing world. I loved this conversation. We talked about sisterhood, social media, culture, friendship, activism, fashion. We cover so much. There will be a link in the description to her book that you can get now. It's available in the UK and US as well with different beautiful covers. So I hope you enjoy and I will see you again next week. So I'm so thrilled to be joined by the wonderful Kenya Hunt. You can't see us. We're on Zoom and we're both wearing really bright jumpers. We are. I feel like we're in the citrus family between like your lime and my clementine. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'm so glad we're getting to do this. I would have loved to have done it in person, but um, this is great as well. So congratulations on your brilliant book, Girl, Essays on Black Womanhood is your writing voice is so engaging and you really take us to so many different places. Like there's so much in this book. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And thank you for reading it so early on and giving that an incredible the feedback that you did as well. That really means a lot. I'm really happy to be here. I mean, the book was a real learning curve for me because I've written in shorter form for, you know, a long time. I've, you know, spent the vast majority of my career writing for magazines and newspapers and websites and things so it was such it felt like such a luxury to be able to just write a book and take some time and really like sink my teeth into something I really love the experience of it I love that yeah you hear that a lot don't you when people are like oh my god I didn't have a word count this is just so fun and I know for maybe some of your readers they will know you first and foremost from your fashion background that's definitely how I came to follow you on Instagram but this is a book about race and it is a book that opens up some quite important and maybe heavier topics yes absolutely so I mean well, you know, it's interesting because coming up as a um, journalist, I always kind of moved between f- features and fashion features. And, you know, so I, I mean, I liked being able to very much do both, like explore culture and politics, but then also lean back into fashion. And so, you know, I, fashion is kind of where I've been for the vast majority of my working life. But I've always believed, you know, as do many, that fashion doesn't exist in a bubble or a vacuum. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of my favorite fashion writers aren't even writers who came up those conventional fashion channels and even go to fashion school and things like that. They're just brilliant writers. You know, I think it's really about looking at fashion within the the wider cultural context and the wider political context and how one um, influences the other. And so it's interesting because quite a few people have noted or asked me why I didn't want to write a fashion book. It never even really crossed my mind. I mean, I think I, uh, my experiences, I felt like the particularity of my experiences in American living abroad, but particularly a black American woman 
living abroad and navigating these incredibly overwhelmingly homogeneous spaces during you know the past 10 years of increasing visibility for black women that was just something that was very much on my mind and those are kinds of pieces that i've been wanting to write and explore you know for one publication or another but i just thought a book would make more sense because i could truly do it on my own terms and um and just write it at the length that i wanted to without having to worry about a word count and with and with a different kind of editor relationship um because you know again I, you know i have the editor for the book and there's that back and forth and that that relationship of taking on board feedback and refining the work then there's another one with it, there's a different kind of relationship when you're being commissioned by an editor and writing it for a title or a newspaper and you're having to sort of um you're shaping the story to the, you know, the broader voice of the title of the magazine that you're working for and, and their needs and what they need, what they're wanting out of it and the cover lines that they have in their head and that sort of thing. So, I mean, this was a subject that was really important to me. And so that's why I wanted to, to write it in book form as opposed to, you know, for a magazine or that sort of thing. And then also, and, and that's why I decided not to write, to write a first book about, you know, like the little black dress or the, that sort of thing. I mean, which, you, which is a totally valid path as well. It just didn't feel quite right for me. Yes, totally. And I know what you mean about being edited in different magazines and them changing you slightly because I always found like, oh no, they've taken out my jokes and then not realizing that probably my jokes were just bad. <laughs> um, but no, I just wanted to start off with that topic just because I think it's really important, isn't it, to kind of tell people who might be wanting to get into writing that you don't have to pigeonhole yourself or be put in a box. Yes, I completely agree. Exactly. And I mean, and also fashion is just so incredibly important because it's an extension of ourselves, how we choose to express, you know, obviously express who we are, but it, ha it you know, has such an impact on uh, the way we feel, the way we see ourselves, the way that other people perceive us. But also, it's a $2 trillion industry globally. I mean, it's hugely important um, um, in terms of, you know, jobs and things like that. I mean, it's, the, our, it's campaigns and runway shows shape the way young girls see themselves for better or for worse. So it's, it's a hugely important one. And so I do think it's a real shame when people disregard it as being, you know, frivolous uh, because it's anything but. So I read the intro and I thought it was really interesting that you had started writing this book before this year happened and so you sort of did this added bit at the beginning which was so interesting to read and really gripped me from the start because it was written almost in real time and obviously COVID has happened the we had the the tragic death of George Floyd we had this summer of what it felt like was really concentrated activism how was it writing that new section for the book? It was difficult because, you know, there was a feeling at one point that, oh, it's too soon. I need to just figure out how I even feel about what's happening and what I'm experiencing. But then I felt compelled to write about it regardless because journaling um, is how oftentimes how I figure out how I'm feeling. You know, I, I write through my feelings a lot to just process what's happening and, and figure out where I where I stand, you know, what I think. I, uh, the writing is a key part of that for me. And so I was doing it anyway. And so I felt like it made sense for me to do it for the book. Also because it just, so much was changing so radically that I felt 
compelled to address it in the book because a lot of the talking points that I was already exploring were being advanced, you know, this year in terms of things like um, the role that black women have played this year in shaping like massive political and cultural shifts and um, everything from, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, which was, you know, founded by black women and and are powered by black women to um, the, you know, the election cycle, Kamala Harris running for, she was running for, you know, president initially um, before she joined the, the, the Biden ticket and all of that. So, I mean, it just felt like it only made sense for me to go back and revisit this through an introduction and an epilogue. Yeah, well, it felt almost like everything you'd written, like you say, had almost been highlighted more so. It was really strange because even the thing with the magazine covers, because there was a moment in 2018 where we were seeing more black women on the covers of September issues than ever before. And they were calling it the Wakanda effect. And it was a whole thing. And I remember it vividly because I was being asked to comment about it a lot in other media outlets and on news networks and things. Then 2020 arrives, September issues, you know, it's, and, and, and we just see, I mean, just black girl magic and black excellence on cover after cover after cover. And it's not just the September issues, it's the October issues, it's the November issues. And we see this really, a very real sizable shift, a real tangible shift. And so it's, you know, things that, yeah, I mean, that were written about in the book were just drawn out in, in incredible ways, you know, this year. So it, as a result, I just, yeah, I felt this compulsion to revisit it. It was hard for me to stop writing because I kept wanting to just dip back into the book so there was a point with my editor where I was like okay I'm not going to touch it anymore I'm just gonna leave it I can go to the printer now <laughs> it's so true though with a non-fiction book of a topic that obviously is something that you could talk about forever yeah but that you've got to yeah put that end point on it like this is done now um yeah. but no it's so brilliant and one of my favorite chapters in the book was um your analysis of language and how it's used on social media and really important I think for people to know that a lot of everyday phrases that we say or like things that are shared they do originate from black women and that is something I think we should really be aware of some people don't really know where things come from yeah I think it's I mean I think it's important to to know yeah and it is a form of appropriation I mean most people that's it you see a word on an internet and it just takes off um and it becomes you know a catchy hashtag but uh, you know it, it it always originates somewhere and it's so for me it's just really interesting to observe the trajectory of a lot of these phrases and words because I would just hear them growing up, you know, being used among my mom and her girlfriends um, or seeing it in, in certain spaces or television shows or hearing it on the radio. Um, and you, and so I would know, I would know the origins and then the next thing I know I'd see it on a hashtag or uh, yeah, just being used on social media in a completely different context. And that, I mean, that happens more times than not right now. I mean, and there's so many examples that I don't even touch upon in the book, but usually, by and large, a lot of these 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 catchier these catchphrases and things do tend to originate with Black culture, and I think it also sort of plays into this idea of um, Black women specifically as being the originators of a lot of things, but being the hidden figures behind it and not always really being recognized or getting their due. And that I think that's a, an another thing that's been beautiful to see this year is to to, to watch 
to see black women in a number of different spaces finally being recognized and being celebrated and getting their due and hopefully you know long may it last uh hopefully it will continue for a very long time yes definitely definitely it's really such a great chapter in the way that you storytell and and communicate is just yeah I just I've been thinking about so much in the book since I've read it um but you also unpick the phrase woke which I feel like has been in the headlines now for like the past few years but did you feel like it was important to include your sort of take on how that word has been used and reused in strange ways I think that, well, so basically the term to me very much felt like a term of the age. When, you know, when we fast forward 20 years, however many years, and I look back on this this chapter in history, I will forever associate it with the term woke. And um, I had read a lot about it. You know, I would often roll my eyes when I'd see it used because it has, you know, had the, the term has taken so many twists and turns and the meaning changes depending on the context and who's using it and things like that. But seeing how it's been weaponized, increasingly so in the past few years, and people associated with virtue signaling, which is a phrase, another thing that I don't understand, because I feel like we could probably use a little more virtue signaling right now with the climate being what it is. Like, I, um, but I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I just think that um, we tend to weaponize this idea of being woke and so I identified with what it was originally but I don't necessarily I, I don't identify with what it's become in the way it's you know it's used currently and so with woke in particular I kept thinking about um you know Susan Sontag's famous essay uh, notes on camp and camp was you know very much a term of a, a a certain era and how she kind of really unpicked that in the list in, in a you know in a list format with this very sort of precise language and I wanted to pay a tribute to that piece and use that format that lens to look at the term woke and basically how the the meaning has um in a lot of ways in a, in a lot of circles been completely watered down and then in other spaces it's become even more potent and it hits different, you know, in a year like 2020. And so, yeah, I wanted to unpick all of that. And then there are other circles where, I mean, it, it, this word just feels completely irrelevant. Like there's a, a tweet that I quote where um, someone says, you know, if you use the term, then you're just completely irrelevant. Like no one uses that anymore. And no work, woke person would dare refer to themselves as woke um, and things like that. So, I mean, it, it's, it's quite a polarizing word um, and still to this day. And interesting, I suppose, how quickly things change. Like you say, like maybe it wasn't a word that you would cringe at before and now it is. And and actually it was interesting your references of Meghan Markle as well, because I feel like they've been painted as these like woke in a negative way people when actually I would say that they're just modern, a modern couple doing their thing, which I love to see. And it was interesting that you were saying that you edited a piece actually that she wrote in L. I oftentimes hear people refer to Megan as a cautionary tale. Like this is what happens when you become too woke or, you know, they became too woke for their own good. Um, they lost their sense of fun. They're very preachy. I mean, there's um, often, I saw a headline, um, I think it was on the Daily Mail that referred to them as being quite preachy and maybe they sell there. And, you know, there's this perception of them 
And they basically just want to live their lives apart from this very sort of rigid hierarchy, hierarchy and these rigid rules. And they're, ba I mean, they're saying very basic things like, you know, racism is wrong. There needs to be an end to structural racism. Women should have equal rights. I mean, th th these are not controversial statements that they're making by any stretch. Um, so I think it's really fascinating to see how the term woke is being applied to them and yeah how it's being weaponized and they're being painted out as the painted as these people who've taken a you know who've lost their way and have taken a you know a, a wrong turn and are like a cautionary tale for some which i think is quite ridiculous completely and also like the crown i don't know if you've been watching the crown but it's like this is like history repeating they're like the the first couple that have actually been like you know what screw this yeah i was watching the crown last night i actually feel quite hungover from it and there was one i don't want to give away any spoilers but there was one episode when it for me as an american watching it it was really fascinating where she was having to learn the hierarchies and who to curtsy to and who to acknowledge before the other. And it was just so off-putting. I mean, that the ranking, the system of ranking people is quite, feels quite grotesque. I think when you consider the conversations happening right now in the world and the conversations that have existed forever around like racialization and things like that. So for me, it was quite triggering to see, to watch the scene in which she was literally being taught how to rank people. Um, so it was just, uh, and these are things that have just existed for so long and people just barely question it. And then when you diverge from it, people, you know, there's very real upset. And I think Megan and Harry are, you know, very much a classic example of that. I mean, who knows? I, I can't speak to what the inner workings are of that family. And, you know, there's a lot of arguments for the fact that they could have handled it better. Or they could have communicated things to the queen differently. And there's lots of details and involved in that conversation, which I can't speak to. But, I, you know, I definitely believe they should be free to live their lives. And if they want to say that structural racism is bad, that is surely not a bad thing. Totally, um, totally. Yeah. I think it's just questioning our behavior and what, because even this year, it's, you know, it's uncanny when you think about how quickly we can adapt to things, like even our new normal, what we've adapted to so quickly and how you and I are interacting right now. Um, and I think that goes for everything, you know, the way that we've adapted to these very sort of, you know, um, kind of rigid racial hierarchies and things, which is what my book is commenting on um, to a certain degree as well. Mm. Before I move on to one of my last questions, I just wanted to touch on the fact that although the majority of the essays are written by you, there is this feeling of sisterhood and solidarity and just like female friendship and joy to this book. How did you kind of go about, you know, getting people involved? And was that always your intention? Or was that something you wanted to do like halfway through writing it? I always wanted to do it just because of the women in my life have so been um, integral to the making of me, whether it be my mother and my sister, or my aunts, my closest girlfriends, my friends here, you know, if it weren't for the, my girlfriends here, particularly this really close network of black women friends I have who share my, you know, we have a shared experience between us, you know, that has been 
so key in my being able to live a life here and to navigate the working world and, and thrive. And so I wanted to celebrate that in the book, how black women show up for each other um, consistently. Um, and I was encountering all these incredible women through work who I would see and just get excited about, or I'd follow them, you know, when you follow someone new on Instagram or that sort of thing, or you read a new book and you just feel really excited about it. So I pulled from my own network of close girlfriends and then also approached women who I was just admiring from a distance. So Candice Cartier Williams, I read Queenie like everyone and loved it. And also I'd just been following her as an editor who's always interested in other writers. Um, and so I just asked her for lunch one day because we had so many mutual friends in common. I'm, you know, Charmaine Lovegrove is a friend of mine and she and Kendi's are really close and I've been hearing so many great things about her. So I just asked her for lunch and we vibed and hit it off. And I asked her if she'd be up for contributing and she said yes and I was thrilled. And then Freddie Harrell and I did a talk together and I thought she had such a um, compelling story and such a unique and interesting take on black hair in particular especially when it comes to the natural hair movement and what does natural hair actually mean? Um, because, you know, this is a woman who's launching a line of um, natural hair extensions, like wigs and things like that. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting take on natural hair in particular. And she's had this longstanding, ever deepening love for her hair and the beauty of it and all of the different things that it can do. Um, but also the, the possibilities of it, you know, you can, you can, you can do whatever you want in terms of that form of expression. Um, and so I loved the way, I, you know, I, I loved the way she spoke about it when we did that panel together and thought it'd be really great. She could basically do an essay version of that talk for the book. And then Abele Okobi is a really dear friend of mine here. And she very tragically lost her brother to police br brutality in California. And that was just, an incredible, heartbreaking experience for her. And then as a friend, that feeling of helplessness, watching someone go through that. Um, and also watching a family become a face of a movement, you know, seeing them do all the interviews and the brother become a hashtag and seeing the assets spring up on social media and tribute to him uh, was really, um, it was just too much for the heart to take. And she had such a, uh, moving an important story to share. You know, I, I felt really strongly that more people should hear about this from her perspective as a sister um, and also a mother raising black, a, a black boy in the world. Um, so yeah, and so I, I was really, I'm still very grateful. You know, I have so much gratitude for her, to her for sharing her story. Then there's Funmi Feto who whom I, who's been a dear friend my entire time here. I, I just reached out to her on Twitter when I moved here because I didn't know anybody black. I read a story she wrote in Vogue and I was just like, I want to know this woman. She seems really cool. I love the story. Asked her if we could meet for coffee and we vibed and we've been friends ever since. And um, so she, yeah, she's someone who's very much from my, you know, my chosen sister circle as is Jessica Horn, who is just a fierce, powerful um, activist who works throughout the continent of Africa. And she's someone who, because activists, that's another term that's become like a real buzzword. And sometimes you hear it and you just wonder what it means, if it even means anything anymore. People have to sort of tack it onto their bios and things like that. Whereas Jessica is someone who's like really in the, um, in the trenches with it. And she really understands 
what that term means and, and what it actually requires to really affect change to um, to create change in um, in various spaces. So yeah, it was really great to have her voice in there as well. And I think that's it. I mean, so I very much wanted to give the reader a taste of what I experience and what so many other black women experience, which is just, or any women of any racial background, just that power of squad, like that power of sisterhood and what we get back from each other and how we show up for each other and advocate for one another. Mm, I love that. It so comes across like this sort of bit of a hug in a book as well that you, you know, have all got each other's backs and it's so lovely. Um, also, just in general, like to anyone listening, I find that really inspiring that you just reached out to people. Like, I think we need to do more of that, you know, just in general, even if you haven't moved somewhere new, just, you you know, making friends can be quite hard, I think, when you get elder. and Yeah, that's something you have to learn when you move to a new country. I, th- I don't think, I think if I'd stayed in New York, I'm, it might maybe I wouldn't have been doing that or I wouldn't be doing that at this stage of my life. But because I moved elsewhere, I moved to London where I didn't really know anyone. I was forced to do things that were out of my comfort zone. There reached a point where I was like, look, my friendship pool feels really narrow. They're my colleagues. I work in a small office and then a few people I've met through other people. So if I'm going to like really build a life here I might just have to start like reaching out to people like I just didn't even know how it was such a foreign experience to me figuring out how to make friends because I grew up with so many around me like you grow up in a place and you just don't even question it like you have your network around you you grow up together you go to school together you graduate and that's just the, the ebb and flow of life but then you move to a place where you don't know anyone and it's just a weird feeling starting from scratch um, so yeah, cause I was talking to Fumi about that the other day and it was, she was so struck by that, that I'd reached out. It was really nice of her to actually indulge me and take the time. I didn't think much of it then, but now I'm realizing it was quite a, you know, a strange thing to do, I guess, to cold call someone on Twitter. But actually, I think quite a few people do it now. You slip into someone's DMs. I don't really do it that much anymore, but I've, I have witnessed friendships flower as a result of social media and things like that it is like kind of probably a little bit like if you were dating online you know you get a sense of who someone is a little bit it's not like a complete random you're like this person looks cool so she probably knew that you were were like the perfect person to be friends with I mean I don't see the social dilemma I was watching that I mean social media is getting a really bad rap because I mean big tech when you look at these companies they are in the middle of just about everything that's been wrong in terms of the news cycle but I still believe there is a lot of good in my life that has come out of it personally um particularly my friendship network here yeah me too it's good to remember that there is good stuff you know I've made so many friends off Twitter and Twitter is like the devil that people talk about it in such a negative way and I'm like I have you know I have had some good times on there yeah (laughs) Yeah. but my last question is probably something that I think people might want to know when they look at you you are someone who has done so many amazing things and you have such a variety in your life and I know that in your acknowledgements I love reading people's acknowledgements and people know this about me and sometimes I just go straight to the back and read them How interesting! but yours were really lovely and also the bits where you thank your partner for kind of helping give you the space to write this book yeah. and so I just wanted to ask you for anyone looking at you thinking oh my god how does she do it um do you have any words of wisdom well, having a really supportive partner definitely made a difference as a as a mother to two 
boys. I mean, I think that support network is so key. So for me, it was definitely his support, his willingness to take the boys for those moments when I needed to to do things like this on a weekend. We're doing it on a weekday, but I've done many on a weekend where he's had to take them to the park or that sort of thing, or just finish writing. Um, and then also, I think just um, the, my my friendship network, I mean, the, the women in my life, getting that encouragement from them and also comparing notes with one another because we are all in similar places where we're doing things like pursuing our passions. You know, we have jobs and then we're also pursuing things that we're really passionate about and doing other projects here and there. And so being able to compare notes and find and just sort of share in the experience of trying to figure it out together has made a real difference in hearing what works and, and also just having their support emotionally has really made a lot, a big difference to me because it, it's been hard. It's like, you know, waking up like obscenely early hours or, or more times than not actually staying up ridiculously late at night because I'm quite a night owl. Um, so it's just a lot of sleepless, you know, going sleep deprived for long spells and stretches and things, but also knowing that they were going through their own sort of struggles or challenges to accomplish something or to get somewhere. So that, that kind of, that, um, that energy that we had between us was really nice, but it's hard. I mean, I don't know. I, it's not for everyone either. I mean, I really enjoyed the experience and I'm glad I did it. But also, it's, I also fully acknowledge it's not for everyone. And I think people should just be really kind to themselves and not put any pressure on themselves, particularly right now. Because, um, and that, I mean, I think that this is the very real danger on social media because you watch these feeds become CVs in a lot of ways where people are just posting their projects and posting things that, you know, they're required to do to deliver to X brand or whatever, or posting the highlights, you know, it's the highlights reel, which is an age old issue with all of these platforms. And so you can very easily start to feel bad about yourself or feel an unhealthy pressure to do things that might not feel right or in your nature. So I think, you know, I definitely just encourage people to do right, do what feels right. And writing for me is something that I enjoy. So if I'm doing it at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 6 a.m., it's just something I felt compelled to do. I'd be unhappy if I weren't doing it. So um, it felt right. But, uh, and I'm, you know, grateful and privileged to have the support in place to do it. I just encourage people to just, you know, preserve your mental health and well-being right now because we are still very much in the COVID times, um, which is a lot to navigate. Yes, that is such an amazing response because like you say, juggling lots of different things, it's really, really hard. And like you say, if you are compelled to do something and you can't stop thinking about it and it's like you need to get out of your system, you kind of make the time. But this kind of culture of like everyone must have a side hustle, I'm like so not with that. Thank you so much for your time. I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. So you'll have to come back on. at some point yeah i'd be happy to thank you for having me thank you for the support it's been great